primary objective is to take people into the coolest parts of that area and show them, you know, the, the most exquisite scenery and the most epic adventure. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Hello, dear listeners. This is episode number 41 of the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. Today we are joined by Yishai Horowitz. Yishai is the race director for the U.S. ARA National Championships coming this September in Bishop, California. I get him on the podcast. I try to get some info out of him. He paints a great picture of the course. And this is going to be a heck of a race. Thanks to Yishai for coming on The Dark Zone. Always a pleasure to host race directors, racers, race fans, racers of all types. This is a fun episode. Yishai gives just enough information to make it sound super appealing. So check the show notes if you want to learn more about the U.S. ARA National Championships. And thank you for being a listener to The Dark Zone. We appreciate having you here. Safe racing and enjoy this episode. Welcome to The Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. Today we are joined by Yishai Horowitz. Yishai is the race director for the 2022 edition of the United States Adventure Racing Association National Championships. This year... Uh, USARA is voting with their feet and is going to the left coast, to the west coast of America, out in California. Yishai has been kind enough to come onto the dark zone today to talk about the race, the preparation. He can talk a lot about the course. He could talk a little bit about the course. We'll see what we can get out of him. But for the most part, Yishai is here to talk about nationals and what racers could expect. Yishai, welcome to the dark zone. Thank you for making the time to join us today. Hey, Brian. Thank you. It's a, It's an honor to be on the dark zone with you. Nationals absolutely is the the premier event that is that takes place in the country in terms of national championship. We're 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 blessed in America, especially over the last several years. We're just more and more races, right? If, no matter where you live, uh, Katie Farrington just had her Never Summer Adventure Race out in the Rocky Mountains, and we look at the races that take place in the Southeast. We see the races that in the Northeast, uh, Endless Mountains, Expedition Oregon, our friends to the north in Canada, right? We're a vibrant, vibrant race series. Rib Mountain was just on. I mean, you. Can just go down the list strong machine with maine everything everywhere delmarva a, a thousand great races out there a really vibrant scene in america it all kind of comes together right the nationals mm-hmm. is all about the racer getting them on the course getting them talking a bit about it you got to be pumped you got to be excited tell us about nationals where are we going to be how's it going to go you shy the audience podcast is yours Take it away. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs> That's quite the intro. Um, so national championships out here on the West Coast, it's been a long time. I think the last time they visited the uh, left coast was down in Santa Barbara. I mean, that was 10 plus years ago. Um, I was actually at that race. But um, yeah, it, it's it's really I'm, I'm very humbled to be given the opportunity to direct nationals this year. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really great honor. Actually, I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And, and finally Garrison's like, Hey, do you want to do it out here? I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) We got it. Um, That being said, 
you know, California terrain is, is very different than, you know, East coast, Midwest, um, the mountains where we're going to be are probably more similar to like, you know, the Rockies, if anything, if, if you want to make some kind of comparison. Um, but this year's race is going to be a point to point, uh, I guess, more expedition styled. Obviously it's not an expedition race. It's a, it's a 24 to 30 hour race. Um, but it's a point to point race and we have a, we have a good number of transition areas. So you're not going to be in one leg for, you know, a third of the race or something like that. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty quick. And those transition times are going to count a lot for this. I think we're going to be at like seven or eight transition areas for a 24 hour race. So that's, that's uh, going to keep moving. Um, so this year we're going to be up at some high elevation also. So participants that are not necessarily used to high elevations practice. If you can get up in altitude, come out a few days before, if you can sleep high. Um, I don't know much about like hypo oxygen tents or anything like that. So I'm not going to yeah, we're all adventure racers. It's going to stink, <laughs> you know, suck it up and keep racing. Yeah, right. It's exactly. going to be all the slow landers are going to pay the price. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the first leg of the race, I feel like a lot of people are going to get slapped in the face. <laughs> you go, uh, you go really high, really quick. Um, but we're going to, we're going to have you covered. There's a lot of, it's actually a net uh, loss in altitude over the whole race. Um, so a lot of downhilling, there are obviously uphills, but um, the other thing is some really rugged terrain. There's some terrain that there's no trails through necessarily. And you're just going to be kind of, you're going to be going for it. There's a big canyoneering section. Uh, it's, it's pretty short as far as mileage goes, but Cyril and I went out uh, this past weekend we did it and it took us like six hours to get through a pretty short leg of it. So it's, it's pretty full on. Um, there's also some really nice technical single track. Uh, it's not like downhill scary technical single track, but if you're just used to riding fire roads, get on some single track if you can. Uh, it's rocky, it's some roots. Um, and that part of the Sierra has a lot of sandiness to it. So, I mean, you can still ride through it, it's fine, but you're going to be wanting to run a wider tire than, you know, you might be running out uh, on some hard pack stuff or hero dirt per se. So, you know, like a 2.3, 2.4 inch tire with will help you a lot. Uh, so when I was a newer adventure racer and I was coming into the sport, when I, when I saw the phrase national championship, immediately I went to the idea that because I was a citizen racer, because I was a weekend warrior, mm -hmm. I didn't qualify for nationals. That nationals was somebody else's. There was this mystical realm, if you will, of adventure racer who I did not know, who did not know me, and they got to go race nationals. Yeah. Now, in an earlier version of the podcast, Garrison, who's the, the executive director of USARA, came on and talked about the selection process for nationals this year. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, and I'm, I want to kind of lead a bit with the, with the end of the sentences. I'm correct in the idea that anybody who wants to race nationals, and it's it's July of 2022, by the way, for those of you time pressed, and we're going to push this edition out as soon as possible. Entries are open now for nationals. Am I right that anybody who can get a team together and talk a bit about the size of the teams, talk a bit about the distance of the race in terms of hours as well as mileage-ish, sure. I know is what you could say. Can anybody sign up and come out and race nationals? Yes. Now uh, it's, it's open registration. If you have a three-person co-ed team, come on out and race. Um, 
it's it's not limited to those you know elite elite racers and in my opinion we don't have a whole lot of elite elite teams in the nation um you know so i think that a lot of people would be surprised at you know hey they can they can come out and they can race and they can finish a 24-hour race um so is, it, think, is it 24 or is it 30 hours how long is the course 20, open sorry, it's it's 24 to 30 hours it's Got a 30-hour it. cutoff so yeah, sorry, I keep using the 24-hour reference. It's just kind of like the, I guess, the easy go-to. But yeah, it is technically a 30-hour race. So gotcha, 30 gotcha. Hours cut off. And I think, you're, I think you're tipping your hand a little bit, the idea that you're using 24 hours. There are teams that are come out there that are going to move quickly through the course, and they're going to yeah. fall probably on the earlier side of the 24-hour to 30-hour margin, whereas some teams, present company included, is probably going to be at the end of the, more closer to the 30-hour mark. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um we are designing the course to take good fast teams you know close to you know we want them to be out there for a, for a long time we don't want anybody to be finishing in like 16 hours 17 hours so i mean they're going to have a full full race so uh fast teams don't expect to be finished in 15 16 17 hours especially if they're coming out from the east coast or for lower elevations and they're racing yes. at, at elevation yes you, exactly. you mentioned i heard canyoneering i hear technical single track not scary downhilly stuff but with sandiness what other disciplines can teams reasonably what have you shared with the race community in terms of what other disciplines to prepare for um there's there's a great paddling actually there's two paddling legs um so there's going to be some flat water paddling and there's some slightly moving paddling i mean it's like class one river it's 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 it pushes you it flows downhill right yeah exactly (laughs) and uh, two paddling legs canyoneering technical single track obviously i'm assuming there's a there's a, a significant trekking section yeah there's trekking section Now, we don't want to say too much, right? Because for those of you who are newer to the sport, if this is your first time tuning into the dark zone, one of the components of adventure racing is that the racers don't learn about the the course specifically until the race begins. They're given a set of maps. Have you determined, and once again, I don't want you to give away trade secrets, and so feel free to say, Brian, I'm not talking about that. When would racers get the maps that morning? Is it the hour before? Is it the, the, are you getting off the bus? Good luck. Here's your map people. Like, how are you going to put that together? You know, we haven't fully decided that one yet. Um, one thing that I do like to do is not give all maps at, you know, the beginning of the race. If that's, you know, if map handout is the night before or the morning of, um, I like to have a little bit more mystery involved. So they'll, they'll probably, they'll probably be a, one of the map handouts will be a little bit later in the course. And the idea of the map distribution is is interesting for two aspects. And that's a great thing that a lot of race directors do. It's it's you're, you're doing your racers a favor in one way because you're not giving them X amount of maps to figure out at the very start. Exactly. Right? So therefore, there there's no paralysis, you know, by analysis, mm-hmm. right? There's here's four maps, five maps. I'm picking a number out of the air. Good luck. You're going to get maps six through eight or six and seven later on in the course. You're helping them out. The downside and the challenge is that they're now going to be in a race situation Mm -hmm. and someone's going to say to them, here are your new maps. Good luck. And you have to do that together. You have to figure that out right away on the course. Yeah, correct. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's an advantage and a disadvantage. I like to do it. because there's an advantage. Yeah. It gives, it, you know, it, it's good for some teams and not so great for other teams, but. 
in terms of the, the 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 teams that are planning on coming out, there's there's several nationally ranked teams. Yes. Bend, Rootstock. Do you happen to have a current registration list that you could talk about who's already coming out? What does the field look like? Um, you know, I don't have a current one. The last one I saw was a few months ago. Okay. Um, I saw Bones on there. Um, Bones came out and did our mammoth race last year and they won. They're a very strong team. Um, I don't believe Mary is racing with them this year. I think she's going to be at Worlds. Okay. So that would be Mary Chandler, by the way, our previous guest on the Dark Zone. Great episode. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mary's Mary's an incredible racer. Yeah. So. I, I like to say that Superman wears Mary Chandler PJs to bed. Yes. I mean, she's just a racer all the time and just put that yeah. put that episode on repeat and train to it all day long, right? But Mary's Mary, you know. Mary's she's, Mary's superhuman. She's superhuman, right? Yeah, she's a Cyberdyne Systems 9000. God bless exactly. her, right? Go exactly. Mary. So actually, one of the... Uh, my my buddy who's helping me put the race on, uh, Cyril J. Ran, was one of Mary's original teammates from Dark Noon. So uh, we, have some, we have some high caliber racers helping out with this race. Yeah, it sounds like you're putting together a very, uh, a, a significantly challenging course. Yeah. For, for people who are considering making the leap and coming out, mm-hmm. we've talked about the idea that it's, it's open now. So there was a graduated entry process where teams that qualified with higher and higher standards, it, it was like, as the calendar moved on, it was like section A could register, section B, section C. And as long as spaces remained, it's now open registration. Um, what, what are the dates of the race? So it's September 16th and 17th. It's a okay. Friday, Saturday race. So we start okay. Friday morning and we end Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, depending on how fast you go. And where would where would teams fly into? Well, first of the home, the, the, the headquarters is in Bishop. Yeah, Bishop, California. It's um, it's a very small town on 395, um, about 45 minutes south of Mammoth Mountain, which is somewhat known. I mean, it's and, pretty well known. And what's the mountain range? Is it the Sierra Nevadas? It's the Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When we um, when we discussed on the dark zone about a year ago, when Garris and I, one of our earlier podcasts, talked about the race, he had talked about the need for there to be two sets of courses because of fire danger. Yes. That thing where, what, what's the update with that? Yes. So we do actually have a backup location. Um, I don't know if I'm really supposed to disclose that at this mm-hmm. point. Um, there is, you know, the Sierra burns every year and there's smoke. I mean, there's a fire going on right now uh, just outside of Yosemite. And I was in Mammoth, uh, I was in Bishop this past weekend and it got a little bit smoky. Um, looking at the air quality index, it's fine in Mammoth right now, it's fine in Bishop. Um, most of the, it, it, well, Mammoth and Bishop are on the Eastern side of the Sierra and the fires generally are on the Western slope where there's more trees. The problem is you get, a, you get the wind blowing it over the mountain range and you get smoke in that, in that big Owens Valley. So, yeah. Um, it's also kind of interesting because the mountain range there kind of creates some microclimate action. So, you know, the western side can get smoky. The higher elevations can get a little bit smoky. But then, when you go down an elevation, it it clears up. Um, so it's it's hard to determine what the, I guess, go no go would be. Um, you know, if if there's one part of the course that's a small section that might not have the best air quality, but everything else is fine. 
probably continue with the race. Obviously, if the whole place is inundated with smoke and it's in like purple air quality index range, we're going to not do it. Um, the one issue with the backup location is we have to have a month uh, kind of go, no go time for that. Um, so we're actually getting pretty close. I mean, it's, you know, July 26th right now and the race is a uh, little over a month. So we would have to make that call pretty soon if we are going to use that backup location. And so that's, that was mainly set up if there was another force, uh, all forest closure, uh, which there was last year. However, last year it did end before September. Um, so before the race, which is very scary. You'd hate to be like, oh, it's a week away. Is it going to open? Is it not? I don't know. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a gamble. I will. I mean, I admit that, you know, we're going to do everything we can to have the race go and obviously go safely um, in not only, you know, fire safety, but air quality safety. Uh, we don't want to put any anybody at in danger that yeah and, I, and I think that, i think that you're in the i think the the first things first great job having a backup location yeah right it's hard enough to plan one race yeah but planning two races yeah and i would bet and and, and i'm not involved in these conversations that it's a month notice but we all know that deadlines are deadlines and we use these round sure. numbers right yes and i think we've as people who access the outdoors love the outdoors use the outdoors I think we've all come to accept the idea that with with the, the changing nature of the climate, the changing nature of what our summers are, that we we've we've come to recognize that this is just the reality of what we have to do, and we have to wrap our heads around it. Yeah, I give you an example. There's a there's a whole crew of us that are going over to Scotland in about two and a half weeks to go race Itera. Mm-hmm. We're talking about now about COVID safety, the fact that mm-hmm. we're making it a point now to wear masks in public, the fact that we don't want to get sick before the race. Yeah, and. As, and as discomforting as, as this is, I think there's no better breed of people that are designed for this than adventure racing, right? Because we all know, and we've all been there, that that sometimes the race just goes upside down. And mm-hmm. then we just have to figure it out. And so I think that we're well suited to that. Yeah. Um, but if the race were to be today, you're all green. The race all goes green. today, right? All green, yeah. right? And so, so yeah. let's see what that what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think that, like I said, and, and racers are, bench racers are a flexible bunch. Yeah, you know, and it is what it is, and I and I would argue too with the with the breadth of the course that you have here, and the back the backup course that you have, there's no doubt in my mind that folks who have the time and capacity and the ability to come out and race nationals, it feels like they're going to get a heck of a race. Oh yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. So I can't. The, what do you expect to be the distance? What's the have you, have you done a mileage distance on the race? Yeah, um, it's about 115 miles. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty hardy for, it's pretty that's, long. That's, for that's a lot hours. of, yeah. Okay. I would yeah. make it a point to put extra air in my tires because yeah. done 150 miles of trekking. <laughs> and you know, you know, one thing we don't do, it's not worth our while. Rarely do we compare races, right? Because, because yeah. an endless mountains to a bend to an expedition Canada, it's, hard. it's, yeah. it's different, but yeah. races have flavors Sure. and some races, you know, and so when, as you look back now and, I mean, is there, and for the aspiring race director out there, mm-hmm. there's the only thing that's more fun than racing a race is planning a race. It's kind of <laughs> like, it gives you an ulcer and it causes you nerves sure. and worries. Don't get me yes. wrong. But <laughs> sitting there and looking at maps and checkpoints and, and in your head saying, does this go here? Does this go there? Yeah. Planning a race is is tremendously enriching and fun and challenging. Yes. How would you describe the flavor of this nationals? What what adjectives would you wrap around it for the, for the listener? Um, so when I design a course, 
my primary objective, obviously there's like the safety aspect stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. Um, my primary objective is to take people into the coolest parts of that area and show them, you know, the, the most exquisite scenery and the most epic adventure. Um, I am not one to put people through just endless miles of grueling, grueling, steep, dusty fire roads or something like that. I don't like that. Um, I like to take people between the gems uh, of what the area has to offer. So the flavor of this, I think, reflects that kind of idea of uh, course design. Um, I think that there's a lot of fun aspects of it. I mean, obviously it's a long course. It's, you know, you're going to be out there for 30 hours. So there's going to be people are, it's, it, it's grueling. I mean, it's, you know, you're well, going out there to suffer. It's supposed to be great. Good, good <laughs> yeah. job. If someone yeah. says that was a grueling race, it's like, well, thanks. Like, yeah, like here's yeah. the, well, you know, here's their, you know, you race across the finish line, you give them a comment card. They write down grueling. It, you, yeah. Thank you. You signed up for yeah. this. It should be grueling. Exactly. It's right. like, I don't know, you know, somebody signs up to be a Navy SEAL and be like, that was hard training. Yeah. Be like, yeah. 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 If somebody says to you after a 30 hour race, you know, that was kind of grueling, kind of like, <laughs> like you signed up for an adventure race. This isn't yeah. a, you know, this isn't what we're not sewing. Like it wouldn't, exactly. all, it wouldn't, no, no disrespect to the sewers out there, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, so it sounds to me as you talk about it, it's, and, and it, it we just had Igor on from AR Croatia yeah, and Igor, Igor's race was top yes. notch. One thing he talked about in his mm. hilarious Croatian way, um, <laughs> what he talked about was the, his job is to is to expose the racers to the beauty of Croatia. Yes. And therefore he wants flowing. He wants fasting. Yes. He doesn't just put flags far, far away. He wants he wanted uh, I'll paraphrase. He wanted every checkpoint to give the racers pause and say, oh, my God, this is amazing. He also yeah. had like 78 checkpoints over over three days. I don't know how that he did intense. that. I mean, I mean, he should he should talk to somebody about that because that's incredible. Um, but I think you and Igor are sort of similar in that regard that you see the course as a playground yes. and you want, and you want to bring the racers through the playground along the yeah. way. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. Thank you for that. Um, um, yeah. The, the other thing that I really appreciate is a lot of route choices. Um, so unlike Igor, I, I, we do not have 70 plus checkpoints out there. Um, I mean, obviously this is a one day race versus a three day race, but I use the checkpoints really as just kind of a, to get people to destinations and to give them choices. So pretty much in, well, not all of them, but the majority of our checkpoints, there's multiple ways to get there. So it's really, it's a navigational challenge, which is, you know, the fourth sport of adventure racing or the fifth, I don't know, third, <laughs> first, whichever category you want to put it in. Um, it, it really, it, it really, I guess, inspires navigational choices. Um, not all the checkpoints are in like the most, not, you know, amazing location, but it gets you through an amazing location or gets you to you know, or around something like that. So you'll see it. The checkpoint itself isn't always on like the peak of the most beautiful mountain in the world or anything like that, but um, some are. So let me, let me ask you this question. We'll, we'll use some visual imagery here. And, and, and this is not a binary question, A or B. There are some races that are foot races. Yes. Right. It's, it's a, it's a point to point race mm -hmm. where 
it's the fastest team with the fastest nav is going to bing, bing, yeah. bing, 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 go through the course. Sure. And then there are some races that are more like chess matches mm-hmm. that, that racers and teams are going to come to inflection points during the race where they'll look at the map and they'll realize that some checkpoints are mandatory, some are optional. And, and I don't know how you have that structured for nationals. And they have to make strategic decisions inside the moment on what direction to go. Now, yeah. we should we should point out that it's not always foot races versus chess match. It could be a little bit of both. Yeah. As you sit back and you look at the breadth of the course, recognizing it's point to point, recognizing that there's multiple route choices, it sounds to me like it's going to be that teams are going to have to make some on-the-fly decisions regarding speed, location, navigation, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, I don't know if I can necessarily categorize us as a foot race or, you know, the chess match race, I I think it's kind of a combination. Um, I mean, obviously a fast team that's making good nav choices is going to do better than a slow team, not making good nav choices. Um, But there's definitely going to be on the fly nav uh, choices. And I think some, some people are going to probably have a plan at first and then they're going to get and get to the, that area or where that decision is. And they're going to change their plan uh, dependent on the terrain they're in or, you know, the quality of the the trail or road or whatever it may be. Um, So I I think that there's going to be some on the fly changes. The time of day. Right. Exactly. You go to a section at night during the day. Yeah. It's time and time again, right? You you watch races and teams are moving well. The minute the curtain of nighttime falls, everybody slows down. Sure. Some teams slow down more than others. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm watching Ecuador right now. They're racing down Wetter Sinchi. And, yeah. and, and God bless him, Santiago Lopez, heck of a race. If you yeah. ever go race one of his races in Ecuador, listeners, get down there. Great experience. And I was, and first off, he's down in the, uh, he's down in the jungle this year. He's not up in the, the yeah, Andes. He's down in the jungle. Um, and those racers are, by the way, they're soaking wet for five straight days. God bless them. I mean, all I see them is in boats. I think if they take their bikes out of the boxes, I'll be amazed. And it was amazing to watch the, the, the paddling and the trekking, how teams, when nighttime came, they just, yeah. they just stopped cold on the water. Um, yeah. That, that race is out there to your point those decisions matter when you get to to nighttime comes because you they're racing through the night right you're starting Mm -hmm. on friday morning you're finishing sometime on saturday you have that section how much you may not know this answer but how much daylight versus how long is night that time of year out there it's actually it's it's pretty equivalent i believe the nightfall is at 7 30 and sun up is i think it's around like 645 or seven or something like that or not not i think it's like 645 12 Um, hours it's basically 12 hours of of night and day so it's i guess it'd be more like the the tropics (laughs) yeah that's that's a pretty good that's good well that's that's once again that's something where teams are going to have to make that adjustment yeah nighttime yeah where do you fall in terms of for for a race of 30 hours long Mm -hmm. with the max 30 hours and teams aren't going to rare is the team that's going to sleep on the course that's going to stop on the course, right? The, the teams that end up going the entire distance and hopefully clearing the course, doing well, they're going to go straight through. Mm-hmm. Based on your own experience, and I like to ask this question of, of people who have race experience, what do you do in terms of, of any sort of resting strategy during the race? Do, would you go the entire time? Now, first off, this is an inside scoop on nationals. This is your own experience in general. Mm-hmm. What's your play there usually? Is it full Is it full bore the entire time? Is it go agree to go slower at night? What, what's going to serve um, teams best, do you think? 
I mean, obviously it's going to be a consensus with the team and how much experience that team has um, and how much experience that all those team members have with each other. Um, but I would probably not go full bore the entire time. I, I, I'm not that fast or strong. <laughs> so, um, I, I would, I would definitely take, uh, you know, a little bit of time to chill and, you know, eat some food, make sure you're, you have hydration, your nutrition is good. Um, and I mean, you know, with every course, there's going to be sections that you can be a little bit more relaxed in, you know, if, if you're just going up steep climbs, the whole race, that sounds terrible in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's just, you know. yeah, yeah. It's grueling. Mean grueling. That's grueling. That's rough. <laughs> that's mean grueling versus fun grueling. Yeah, yeah exactly. 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 <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, really taking advantages of the, or taking advantage of that, uh, I guess those, those easier sections, if, if you will, you know, if there's kind of a, a gentle road that you're running or biking down, or you can paddle and, you know, one or two teammates can pull for a little bit and you can chill and then you switch off. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know of a whole lot of teams that go hard for 30 hours, maybe right. like a via or something. <laughs> well, well, and what they most likely do is, and and I think this is an important thing to, to point out for those who want to make the jump, because 24 to 30 hours mm-hmm. is very often the jump that the newer racer makes. Because yeah. you know, racing eight to 15 to 13 hours feels like a lot, right? Yeah. The jump to 24 to 30 is an even bigger thing. And I think Absolutely. that it's worth our while to point out to the to the newer racers. And, and I encourage anybody who's listening, if you have the time and the capacity get a team together and got here, get out there for this race. Yep. This is going to be a heck of a race. It's going to be yep. memorable. Um, I've seen only what the public has seen of the course and what I've seen really speaks to the quality of the course and, and Yishai's race okay. direction. I, from a strategic perspective, I think that what the advisors of the world do well, and it's a good piece of advice we hear time and time again, is that they make very good use of their transition times. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's, you know, is, as, as is shared by Joel Ford and, and Joel Ford is going to come on with his girlfriend, Kim, they just did the North Northern forest canoe trail. There are guests coming up in a few weeks. Um, Joel pointed out to me one time that if, if you do a 12 hour race and if you waste five minutes every hour, you've given back an hour of your race. Yeah. Right. And so the trick is consistent, steady movement yeah. the entire time. Um, and for a race like nationals where, you know, there's honor and glory on the line, this is the mm-hmm. national championship you have to make judicious use of your time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Have you found as a race director that you want to push teams out of transition when they're lolly gigging? It's like, guys, you're tapping your watch. <laughs> um, I, I haven't found that. Um, I, I've seen some of the shorter races I've put on. I've seen some people like sitting down and having like deli sandwiches. And I'm like, dude, this is like a six hour race. What are you doing? <laughs> we got to go. We got to go. Like, move, move, move. Thanks, you're tapping your watch. <laughs> so, uh, I've seen that. Um, but yeah, I mean, transition areas and transitioning, it's really I think a big part of that is having your, your gearboxes organized well, and, you know, just, just knowing where stuff is, knowing what's coming next and being able to just toss stuff in your bag and, and move quickly. Um, I, I think that that, that saves a lot of time. The other thing is, I, I mean, TAs are, you know, you've been out, you're cold, you're wet, whatever. You're just like, Oh, I just need to sit somewhere that's comfortable for a minute. And so that's a, that's a big invitation to spend a lot of time. Well, in a well TA. I hope he's listening. John Neely of the New York adventure racing association says, don't go near the fire, fire pit yeah. dead. He calls it, he calls it pillow rock. 
like a rocks. ship banging into the rocks. Like, don't go anywhere near the fire. Like that will, do, yeah. and that, and that's really good advice. Like if yeah. if there's a fire going, do don't get within ten feet of it because yeah. it pulls you in. And next yeah. thing you know, you're missing all the cutoffs. Yeah. Um, another good piece of advice that I see very often is that teams will they'll tape on the inside of their bins a race schematic, and they'll mm. know what's next. Yeah. And they'll have and another part too um, in terms of nutrition. They'll have bags of like certain hours. Is it a three hour bag, a six hour bag, a 12 hour? Yeah. And they just take a bag and they go. And that yeah. really adds up. That's, um, that's a great idea. If, if, if a newer team wanted to jump into nationals, if, if they're listening mm-hmm. to this right now and they're going to share it with their friends and say, let's give this a shot. Yeah. While there's no official support for newer teams in terms of mentorship and in terms of, yeah. you know, um, is it safe to say that if a team gives nationals a shot. And if they're on the newer end that they're going to get, they could certainly reach out to the race direction and they can get oh, some advice and some guidance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to give away the course, um, but I will definitely give away tips. Um, I will, you know, I, I'll, I'll help as much as I can. I have a pretty decent network of pretty experienced adventure racers that I might be able to uh, connect them with Uh to, you know, take them under their wing, give a little bit of mentorship, um, whatever. But we, this, well, my race, this race, uh, past races, we have a lot of, uh, more of the beginner racers as well. And we want it to, we want to grow the community. We're not here to try and put on the hardest race that two people are going to finish or something like that. This is, it's, it's to grow the sport. Um, especially out here in California, there's not a lot of races. I think we're one of two races in California this year. Um, so that's, you know, there's not a lot. So we want to, we want to grow that and make the community larger. And, and, and to your credit, that's a, you know, there, there are races that will absolutely clobber you. Right. Yes. You know, you know, you know, this is where we the, the footnotes go check out Expedition Oregon. God bless Jason and Chelsea and sure. Darren and Daniel. It's a it's a hell of a race. And, and they call yeah. themselves America's toughest race. So they're not exactly hiding their cards. Yeah. <laughs> they're telling you they're ATR, America's <laughs> toughest race. Yep. And they and you know exactly what you get. And yeah. so to your point, the um, in terms of the American West and building the sport and Kitty Farrington, who is just on talked about it also, I think what the American West struggles with the reason why the races are smaller is that there's a lot of choice out there, a lot of different things to do. Mm-hmm. And as a result, people are just in the mountains doing their thing and adventure racing doesn't really exist inside that culture. They exactly. have a million other options outdoors to go and do, which is yes. so ironic. <laughs> yeah. The fact that the, the biggest race in the country is in the Midwest. Yeah. Red Mountain racing has like 500 people come out to it's their amazing. races. I mean, Absolutely. if 500 people come out, you'd have a heart attack. We don't have enough boats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, need, you need a bigger boat. Um, yeah. And I, and I, you know, you mentioned the idea of hooking up with, with, a with a more experienced racers, um, untamed new England in 2018, Grant Killian, which is my mm-hmm. token Grant Killian reference. I make one every episode, yeah. um, Grant Killian, <laughs> um, connected newer racers with experienced teams. And he had, yeah. they had set interview conversation meeting times. We were using zoom before zoom was oh, cool. the whole world. And yeah. that really came a long way. Um, mm-hmm. and so he, to that point, if someone wants to give the race a shot, they could certainly reach out to you. They could reach out to Garrison and say, listen, yeah. I'm finding that I can be free on September 16th or 17th. And I want to come out and give nationals a shot. Yeah. Can you connect me with somebody? Um, in terms of logistics, bike boxes, <laughs> not bike boxes. Um, no, you don't need a bike box. Uh, we'll, we'll transport them without a bike box. So no worries on that. Obviously if you're flying in, uh, you'll have to have a bike in a box. Um, 
And then what's I the, know what's got, the fly in, where, where yeah. do they fly into? <laughs> um, so we're trying to organize a bus actually from uh, LA, LAX. Uh, I mean, it's a huge airport. You can fly from pretty much anywhere. Um, from there, it's about a four to five hour drive on the bus, uh, or you can rent a car, do whatever you want up to Bishop. There is a closer airport in Reno, Nevada. Um, however, Reno is a much smaller airport, so flights into it are going to be a little bit more limited. So um, USARA will be posting about the bus, the shuttle bus uh, coming up. So if somebody does want to do that, uh, it's going to take care of transportation uh issues for everybody, which is, that's, that's great. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the, the hardest part of getting the hardest part of racing sometimes is getting to the race, getting the race. you know, yeah. connections. And I mean, there's a, you can write a book about the crazy stories that people talk about uh, <laughs> Patagonia a couple of years ago, some yeah. team, their bikes didn't show up. They had to fly up to Bolivia to go get the bikes and they came down and <laughs> Lars's bike from those mountains, never left Copenhagen. And it came on day three. I mean, getting the gear there is just all yeah. so, so credit to USARA for, easing that logistical challenge yeah. of that. Um, recognizing it's a 24 to 30 hour race. Mm -hmm. uh, sell us a bit on, tell us a bit on about the, the other parts of the, if someone wants to come out and do the race, most likely they're going to come out for a week and extended period mm -hmm. of time. What possible can they do on either end of the race? What else is out there for them? Um, Bishop and Mammoth are outdoor paradise. Um, Mount Whitney, the tallest mountain in the contiguous U.S. is right outside of Bishop. It's 14,000 something feet. Uh, so you can go up that. Uh, Mammoth has a huge mountain bike park. Um, it's all lift access. So you can cheat and just go uphill. <laughs> just bomb downhill. Sounds great to me. Sign yeah, me up. <laughs> uh, there's tons of climbing. It's one of the climbing destinations of the world. Um, I'm a climber, so there's uh, there's so many spots. There's bouldering, there's trad climbing, there's sport climbing, and the geology is really interesting because on the western side of the river, it's all granite, and on the eastern side, it's all volcanic tuff. Um, so you get the two types of rock to climb on. Um, there's lakes, there's paddling, there's fishing. It's a world-class fishing destination along the Owens River. Gotcha. Um, there's Reno. You can go make a donation to the casinos if you yeah, want to. Yeah, that's it's about a four-hour drive, but yeah, you can you can go to Reno. Um, yeah. Vegas is about six hours away. So if you want to go to Vegas, um, there's I mean there's endless hiking. Yeah, it uh, sounds like an amazing playground. You must be uh, so excited to put a race on. Oh, yeah, it's it's so exciting. <laughs> I mean, just the idea that you're, you're creating this world-class race, yeah. right? Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a, an amazing destination and you're, you're bringing the world to it. It, yes. it just must just be, it must be something else for you to be talking yeah. about it. No, it's, it's incredible to be out there. Uh, I mean, just, just being able to go out and scout in it um, is, you know, you're just like, wow, this is, this is a place. And it's almost hard because there's so many trails, right. there's so much land, there's so many options. And so narrowing it down uh, can be a bit challenging. <laughs> well, it's almost, you have too, it's like going to a candy store, you have too much choice. Yeah, right? exactly. And sometimes in the American East where we have our parks are somewhat limited and our choice, sometimes yeah. we run out of, you. if you go, if we turn to some races year after year, you know you're going there. Yeah, because exactly. there's you run it because of the the population density. Whereas out west, you sure. probably struggle with so many choices, so many things to do. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Surprisingly, there's the West is very challenging to get permits through. Um, and then the other holdup is a lot of the land is wilderness designated. So you can't have competitive events in wilderness. So those are kind of the two, uh, two, I guess, controlling issues. Um, gotcha. About and and I'm assuming you can't have the competitive events because they want to avoid and leave no trace, the wear and tear on the on the on the land. Um, yeah, it's a the Wilderness Act. Um, it's a congressional act, and it, it basically says no motorized vehicles. You can't have bikes in wilderness areas. Um, you can't do competitive events in wilderness areas. It's it's a very it, it's a pretty strong regulation. I mean, it keeps it you know beautiful, it's and, beautiful, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the trade off, right? Exactly. So it's amazing, but there is that trade off. The um, uh, as we as we talk a bit more about the race and your own experience as a race director and as a racer, clearly um, because teams want to do well at the national championships and because yes. they want to push themselves, most likely there may be some challenges on the team dynamic. And you had said earlier the idea of you want to bring three co-ed teams of three out there to compete in the race. In your experience, when things go off the rail for teams, what usually causes that to happen? What have you seen in your experience? Um, I think that when teams are not unified in their objective, like if one person's like, I'm going to be podium and the other person's just like, I just want to finish. And the other person's in between, um, you're not a real team. You're not united. Uh, so there's going to be problems there. Um, I think it's, it's really just not having a, a mutual understanding of each other's goals, of each other's skills, um, and of each other's abilities. So, you know, you can, yeah, I'd say that's probably what causes it. That's so the, the cause of everything. It's the idea that communication has to occur before the race and yes. during the race. Absolutely. And if, and if people stop talking during it, and you've probably seen that in transition, teams come rolling in, mm-hmm. and the minute you look at them, you're like, "Oh, this is not going well for them." <laughs> right? You just like they yeah. do the whole kind of not talking to each other, and one person mm-hmm. takes their bin off to the side, and yeah. it's almost time for an in-race therapy session with them to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a adventure racing is really interesting. It, it's such an intense. Uh, relationship that you know, yeah it's it's relationship therapy <laughs> yeah. well People, yeah, yeah. we, we, we talked about years. having therapy sessions on zoom yeah. the idea like like, <laughs> like i've had interviews where people like there's one interview i have one of my favorites i won't say who it is yeah. i spoke to the racer for an hour yeah. and a half before i hit record oh wow okay. because they they had to process it out and i was like mm-hmm. can i record this now and they were like go for it yeah. and you're right i think the intense insular nature, which is why I love adventure racing, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's this intense snapshot into human nature. Absolutely. Right. And it brings it alive. And we create these micro communities of intensity that have to, all of a sudden it's like 30 hours of your life, your cell phone's turned off. You can't talk to your spouse. It's you, your teammates, the maps and the course. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be very intense for people. Um, it can be overwhelming for some people. Um, but generally people that get through it, um, that it, it, it's such a, it's such a positive thing and it stands out as, as kind of one of those like little glimmers and gems in their, in their lives. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely forges very strong relationships. Uh, Chris Caloose runs a, a podcast called the Enormo cast. He's a climber. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of my favorite podcasts and as someone who doesn't climb, he's, he's fascinating to listen to because he has these wide ranging conversations across, uh, variety of topics. And one thing that climbers talk about when they have these epics, 
right? They use the word to describe when they have an sure. epic, a big day. Yeah. When they have an epic, they describe it as war stories without the war. <laughs> that there's that shared experience, which I yeah. think that you see that in a national race. You see that in a race mm -hmm. of your caliber, that the teams will have those when things go right, when things go wrong, they come to a dead end, they go in the wrong way. Yeah. I think that's exactly where what you're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me a bit about before we and I appreciate your time. We're getting a little closer to the end here. Um, as you as the race comes together and the race sort of is 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 forming in your own mind. Mm -hmm. What do you think what should teams be doing right now at home besides listening to this podcast? Thank you very much for listening. Of course. What should, which is the most important thing to do is listen to the podcast. And <laughs> if I sponsors call them and thank them. Um, I have to get sponsors to do that, but that's a whole different story. Um, what should teams be doing right now? It's now, it's late July, the race September 16th. Mm -hmm. What would you say to the racers sitting home right now, knowing that the race is a little bit under two months away? Where should they, where do you think they should be? Um, if they don't have a team sorted already, obviously they need to get a team sorted. Um, then, I think that they need to be spending some good time on some on their bikes um, if they can get up to a higher elevation area um, just to see how that impacts them uh, see what effect that has on their on their body on the breathing um, on their performance uh, I, I would do that um, i don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to get up like a week beforehand it's hard to take that much time off but just to have that knowledge and understanding of what the effect of altitude has on you is is good um, because then you can kind of judge and be like, okay, I know what's going on right now. This is the hard part. I'm going to get through it. Just slow it down a little bit. Um, next. Yeah, I, I think that those are those are like the critical things for, uh, yeah, for national you mentioned the idea of team. You have to get along with your teammates. Um, not to not to get too Freudian on you. You have mentioned bikes repeatedly during this podcast. Yes. Well, I think it's worth. I think that's a for the folks who are sitting at home. Get those get those bike uh, those dialed in. Get used to your bike. Yeah. Um, definitely bikes dialed in. Check your brake pads. Your brake pads, very nice. And you also yes. said there was a net loss in elevation. So there is. Yeah, there is. Fair. And you mentioned the idea of, of, of elevation, of being prepared to go up and down. Mm -hmm. The completely unscientific experience, I'm an N of one. I've done the thing where I've gone to elevation, I've landed, and I've gone right up. Mm -hmm. I've climbed right away. And, and I've read that that's actually one strategy. Mm -hmm. And then if you, if you get within a few days within it, like three to four days is kind of like the middle ground. Yeah. A week is a week is good. Yeah. So I think teams have to figure that out. Um, it's only oxygen. It's only elevation. You'll be fine. Yeah, it's it's not, just your head hurts and off you go. I mean, exactly. and it's not so high. We're not we're not talking. It's not so high that you're you're talking about having like you know major significant issues. It's just going to be thin air. You have to get used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh you know the high point is about eleven thousand feet. Okay. Okay. So, it's it's going to feel like something for someone who lives at at, yeah. at two feet. It's going to feel like a thing. Yeah. It, you'll definitely feel it. I will say that, but it's not, we're not at you know, 16, 17, 20, whatever it might be. So, so let, let's play a guessing game here without <laughs> naming teams, right? Cause that's not fair because you, you love all of your children equally. So let's, let's be honest. <laughs> what is, what is the winning race time going to be? I'm going to say right around 23 hours, 23 hours. For, okay. For full okay. course, for full course, 23 oh. hours will be the winning time. Yeah. And the way I, I usually run races is we have pro points and we have mandatory points. Say more about that. 
Um, well, the mandatory points are going to get you uh, from the start to the finish. Um, you're going to have a great experience. You're going to enjoy a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same experiences that the, the faster teams would do. And then there's pro points. Uh, the pro points are really meant for the faster, you know, more elite teams. And it's going to be a longer course. It's going to be a little bit harder. Um, but basically the idea is that if you're a beginner or a veteran team, you, you'll all kind of finish around the same time. Uh, so there's kind of more of a celebration when you do finish. Um, and it, it's, it's basically to cater the event to both people or to both categories, um, oh, all categories. The other thing is I don't like doing cutoffs. Um, so they're like, Oh, if you're not at TA seven by six o'clock, that that's not an actual cutoff. I'm just making it again, an example. Um, then you're, you, you know, you have to walk down this road. Um, so the pro points allow this, the more beginner teams to still experience the course and not be penalized. Gotcha. So and what, like you, what they you want to do is you don't want someone to come out there and do the race and get clobbered. And, and you also don't want to blow the newer teams out the back of the engine. Yeah. Right. It's not fair yeah. to them to because and it's a good point to make when you say it's a point to point course. Mm -hmm. It's worth pointing out that the, the point to point you're going from point A to point B over along, <laughs> but there's different route choices inside that point to point that yes. teams can make decisions. Yes. OK. You, you mentioned before about, about the canyoneering section, um, mm -hmm. certifications required, equipment required, or you no. have people on site to walk them through it. Yeah, it's, it's a non-technical canyoneering section. So um, there's no ropes in it. It's fine. Um, it's just more like going through river, scrambling on the side, but nothing. Uh, there's no super rapid water or anything like that. Wet suits, so, dry suits, or just what you wear. Don't need them. Yeah. What's the average? Uh, what's the temperature swing going to be? Do you think? Because of the elevation changes, uh, it could go from freezing to 100 degrees. Okay. Ventures, <laughs> so, right? That's the deal. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the. That's, that's what you have to do. You have to be prepared. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and anybody who, who goes into a race, you, you know, the same old story, right. And all teams go through this. It's the, the weight of what you have to carry versus the speed that you want to travel versus how safe you want to be. Right. There's yes. that magic formula. And if you choose to carry less gear, you know, obviously you have to carry the mandatory gear and that list exists and that's non-negotiable. Right. And yeah. I don't care if it's hundred degrees, if it says raincoat, you're putting a raincoat in your bag. That's the way exactly. it goes. But once you pass through mandatory gear, this decision to make it regarding food, water, and additional gear that teams are going to prepare for the fact that they could be shivering in a Canyon at three o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning, and they could be sweltering on a hilltop at 10 o'clock in the morning. And that's yeah. just, that's the choice they have to make. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I find that newer racers, present company included when I was, when I was fresh, fresh new was that you packed your fears that you would, <laughs> that you would pack. Like if you were scared of running out of food, you've carried yeah. absurd. I have finished races with more food that it's just, yeah. you just think to yourself and the clothing and things like that. Yeah. That's yeah. And, and until you have the experience, it's hard to, to pack accurately, you know, right. like, Oh, I need exactly this much food for exactly this much time. Um, I mean, we do before each leg, you know, um, and even closer to that, we will disclose, you know, the, the duration or the estimated times for things, the, you know, the terrain and everything like that. So people can, you know, racers can make the best decisions possible, mm -hmm. but that's not going to be yet. So. <laughs> and I haven't even asked because I've begun to assume it, there'll be live tracking for this race. There is live tracking. 
Yeah, I mean, I've, that's become like I wouldn't even assume there wouldn't be, right? So I'm yeah. just I'm just confirming there would be a lot of tracking. Is there any yeah. sort of? I know USARA has done a really nice job with media. Dave Gedney's done a nice job with them. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of good stuff coming out, and this may not be inside your. You're the race director, right? You're building the course. That's what, so you may say, yeah. Brian, I don't know the answer to the question. Sure. Will there be analysis of the race during the race? Will there be updates? Will there be the live tracking or is that sort of still being worked out? Um, I believe it's, I believe that's the objective. Um, and I'm, but I can't answer definitively. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I think what we have seen in, in this year in America that we've been with the tracking that's being done and you know, who's, who's doing the tracking for you? It's more, um, yeah, it's Mark Harris, Mark Harris adventure enablers, yeah. which is good to hear because he's done a lot of yeah. the bigger races this year and yes. he'll be a future guest on the dark zone. Him and I, we've been speaking about getting him on and Margo on to talk about because tracking has just become the most yeah. very, very, it's one of the nicest developments over the last several years is the fact that yeah. people at home could dot mm-hmm. watch. And there's yep. actually a, there's actually a, a Facebook group called dot watchers United, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where they sit and they, and they watch the races between the dot watching combined with the at home analysis combined with the ability to, to layer the different maps onto the, onto the, the, the site itself, people yeah. at home can get a real sense of the race. And so the, yeah. we're going to see that we're going to see over those 30 hours, we'll have access to all of that. Yes. Nice. Do you want yeah. to make any predictions on who might win or do you want to keep that to yourself? <laughs> um, not really a fair question, but I figured I'd throw it at you. I didn't want to not ask it. You could, you could, yeah. you could plead the fifth. You could say, I, I'm, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Um, okay. You know, I, I don't actually know the, I don't know all the East coast teams that are coming out. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't even know a current roster. So um, I, I, you're just I the guy building the course. That's what you are. You're Putting it all together. That's yeah. All. That's great. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I know there are some fast teams. So, I mean, I would keep my eye on Bones for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You always have to, if Bones is in the race, you got to keep an eye on him. I'm absolutely yeah. 100%. But, but I have to tell you that it's been a, it's been a very, very strong season so far. You know, there, there, there's, you know, there's never enough weeks, weekends in the year. And I know that the world is going on and there's a lot happening. There's a yeah. window to do it, but I think that it's a, it's a great time of the year. I think the weather is going to be great. It's, you know, it's September. So it's, it's summer going into fall. There's yeah. a lot, there's a lot going, going in, in your direction. Um, yeah. You should, before I let you go, is there any closing thoughts you want to say to the folks who are sitting home thinking about nationals? Well, I would encourage everybody um, that is slightly interested in a, 24, 30 hour race to sign up. It's going to be a really incredible experience in a really incredible area. So, yeah. And what I will do is, and I will put up on the show notes for this page for the listeners out there, links to all of the relevant websites and all the contact. And you could always reach out to me, Brian at yeah. ARDarkzone.com, and I'll get you in touch with Yishai and Garrison. And we definitely want to, um, we want to give Yisha the opportunity to showcase a beautiful part of the country, um, especially in light of the fact that this is our national championship. So Yisha, yeah. thank you very much for coming on the dark zone. Best of luck with the racing. Ignore the teams, just build the course. <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks, Brian. Really pleasure to be here. Once again, thanks to Yishai for coming on the dark zone to talk about the adventure race national championships. Check those show notes if you want to learn more about the race. We have some links down there. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Dark Zone, feel free to reach out to your streaming platform of choice and leave a review. Any thoughts on guests, feedback, criticisms, adulations, whatever, brian at ardarkzone.com. Thanks again for being a listener. Have fun racing out there and be safe. Go get them.